Welcome to the Lundahl Project Horse Podcast. We're aiming to make horsemanship more accessible, documenting our own journey as up-and-coming horsemen and using past experience and mistakes we've learned from to give tips and advice and bring value to others. We don't claim to know it all or have all the answers, but we're willing to share our experience and what we've learned thus far on our horsemanship journey. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to another episode of the Project Horse Podcast. I'm Jake Lundahl here joined with my brother Luke. And today we've got three different segments. We're going to initially talk in our beginner groundwork segment about those danger close scenarios, kind of going along with some questions we've seen recently about people. You know, they're doing the round pinning and their horses are just, you know, really not respecting their personal space, getting aggressive, getting domineering at times, what the root cause of that is and how to fix it. In our beginner riding segment, we're going to talk about uh, the quote-unquote the perfect horse that still has massive holes in its foundation, going back to some other Q&A questions we've received, kind of along the lines of, well, my horse is perfect in the arena, but then get him out on the trail or really put pressure on him and he has a meltdown. Finally, in our more intermediate and advanced segment, we're going to continue our discussion that we left off with last time. We've been mentioning a lot about bending transitions in previous episodes, and we're gonna elaborate on that some more, talk about the importance of it and where we apply those in different training scenarios and in things that we're doing and why we like that so much. But in our beginner groundwork segment, we're gonna talk a little bit about something that's kind of, you know, that we've seen come up, whether it's Q&A, uh, with us or we've just seen it online in various places and it's something that comes up so often uh, we we figured we would address it um, and it's you know people who are trying to start a green horse or they're retraining an older one they're starting out in the round pin but they're just not committing enough to initially getting that horse's feet moving establishing that respect getting control of that horse's feet before they start creating a lot of draw in that horse and trying to get up to the horse, get their hands on them, get in close to the animal, they're kind of putting the their focus on that first and they're getting into trouble. Right. And, you know, I mean, well, sure, we're guilty of, of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes down to, you know, the, the root cause is just applying your own human emotions to the horse. And then acting upon that rather than going into the situation unemotional and just making it all business because yeah it's just standard horse psychology anything that a horse is 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 new to a horse let's say you throw out like a um a mattress or something out in the horse's pasture something that's he's not familiar with yeah sure he's going to spook initially at it and be fearful of it but once he overcomes that fear their natural tendency is to dominate whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with people. When we see a horse that's scared, that's, that's worried, afraid of people, naturally that human emotion kicks in where we want to comfort and shelter and protect that particular horse. But it's not, for the, what, the way the horse is wired and the way that they think, that is not in any way the means to to go about this relationship at least in the beginning i mean sure once you've established that horse's respect you absolutely you know the the comfort the love and all, all that is incredibly important 
But in that early stage, it's all about establishing respect and showing the horse who the leader is in that pack. Because before comfort, that's one of, honestly, the comfort area is one of the last things in the horse's priorities that he cares about. Number one is who is the leader. Everything else is secondary to that, you know, as far as finding food and water and shelter and, and companion, all of that is secondary over who is the leader. And so it's your job when you begin that round pinning or whatever, you know, however you break these colts in. Um, and this wasn't, the horse that brought this up was not a colt. It was a 12-year-old rescue horse. Mm -hmm. But when, so even those, when you're retraining them and you're starting them, it's all about establishing that respect and telling that horse that you are, in fact, the leader. Because like this, this lady ran into the trouble where this horse started aggressively following her around the round pin, ears flat back, teeth bared, looked like a snake, like a water snake following a canoe or something. Is when, <laughs> when, when she is, when she go, when you go in there and you do not establish that respect, once the horse is no longer fearful of you, then that switch flicks and he says, okay, I understand what this is. It's nothing that's going to hurt me. I don't need to fear it, but it by no means proved to me that it was the leader. And that's really all they care about day one is, okay, when it, when things hit the fan, who do I turn to to get me out of the situation? Mm -hmm. That's the number one priority is survival. And so they need to turn to that leader to say, okay, we're, we're galloping off to the West. Let's go. You know? So he's look, he's, he's looking for that setup initially. Like, okay, who is this? Oh, I don't need to fear them, but Oh, I need to, they're the leader. I need to respect that person. And, but when you, when you try to address the fear element first, which isn't even an issue, it's just a symptom of a of a cause, and that cause is generally always rooted in a lack of respect. Mm -hmm. But so if you start out that relationship just trying to soothe the symptoms of it, pretty soon that horse will no longer be fearful of you and will say, okay, this person has by no means told me that I need to respect them, so maybe I need to take matters into my own hands for my own safety and take control of the situation and prove to them that I am the leader. And that's when you run into problems with an aggressive horse yeah and i just think you know it's very typical human psychology to get hung up on trying to get the horse to join up with you follow you around get in close be all cuddly uh, basically what we would call create a lot of draw in a horse and be uncomfortable with the idea of doing a lot of driving initially moving that horse's feet around gaining control moving them left and right but that like you just talked about it's essential for that horse's psychology to start the relationship off on that foot. And if you don't, it'll come back around to bite you in a huge way. Probably the most profound way we've seen that happen is with wild horses who their buffer zone between what they'll fear and what they will try to dominate is extremely thin. You know, we see that a lot where someone will get a horse, a Mustang in, and sure, they're fearful, that they're apprehensive at first, but if that person doesn't establish that respect right off the bat and they just make all their focus about getting this horse close and getting this horse confident about following them around and being up close to the human, well then what starts to happen is that horse very quickly switches from being fearful of you to seeing if it can dominate you and really trying to figure out who's the leader between you and establish that. Their instinct to get that hammered out quickly with any new companion or whoever's in their herd, 
that instinct is so strong and it's still there in domestic horses and it's very important with young horses especially we think we've talked about it before setting the tone of that relationship early on and it's super critical to be mindful of it uh like in the example that just got us talking about this subject and why we brought this up you know in the case of that rescue horse like it's super important you have no idea where, where this horse has been what sort of baggage it brings to the table and that you know they'll they'll lie to you quote unquote and that's what happened to this lady was oftentimes what you'll see is if the horse is a little fearful or apprehensive they actually have a uh you know in this horse's case i'd be willing to bet money this thing has gotten away with a lot of disrespectful and dominant behavior toward humans in the past now it's in a new place there's a new person working with it it's really not trained so it has what looks like on a surface level it's got some apprehension and it's, it's avoiding you um, and this person you know they went through the motions of moving it around the pin but but way too quickly they started trying to get their hands on this thing and get close and so once the horse got over that initial apprehension that mode of thought kicked in of okay who's the leader between us you know and very quickly that horse fell back into its previous i would say i'd be willing to bet it's had a previous pattern of doing this it acts fearful and skittish people get up to it and then it very quickly switches into that domineering mode and to 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 solve that to uh, you know avoid that to uh compensate for that in your training to establish that respect and get the horse's feet moving initially people are you know they're they're kind of wary of that they they see that as being aggressive that they just they're not comfortable with doing that if the horse is afraid that's totally a human thing and we get it we've been there before but it's absolutely crucial that you put your emotions aside and get control of this horse's feet first right and this particular situation that came up that god is talking about it 12 year old rescue horse and the lady was even warned previously that it had aggressive tendencies like that which mm -hmm. should be a major red flag because a lot of the times you don't hear that yeah you find out about that later on yeah, if they tell you up front just multiply it by 10 exactly and that's, that's the reality so. <laughs> exactly and so even in a situation like that you for sure don't want to mess around at all with you know getting this horse quiet and falling around that should be the last thing on your mind mm -hmm. and really to let the cat out of the bag like it looks great and it's so cool at the end of a session to have the horse following you around and being nice and relaxed but honestly if you did not even worry about that one little bit and you just got the horse to give you two eyes and that was as far as you went with any sort of exercise turned loose in a round pen that you just went right on with your program groundwork and riding mm -hmm. and you got a solid foundation and you got that horse really respectful on the ground and under saddle then just for grins and giggles you came back to the round pen and tried all these exercises having the horse follow you around 99.9999 percent of the time that horse will follow you around perfectly the way you had initially hoped it would without even have working on it yeah. because you it's, establish that respect it's just like a a byproduct organically of that respect and all the other stuff that you've done that shouldn't be your end goal and people focus on trying to achieve that as a goal in their training way too early on 
like you know this lady had done maybe one or two quick sessions in the round pin and was already trying to get this thing to draw in close you know get up there get her hands on it you should you should be a lot more cautious and not try to move things along in the draw direction that quick and so you know before we go further with the philosophy i just like to say well how do you you know what how do you know like how much should you do you know because there we we've talked to a lot of people that they're still round pinning their poor old nine-year-old <laughs> gelding that absolutely does not need it and every damn day they've got him in there as the warm-up like you know reinforcing it and then there's other people that do one session and then they never come back to it uh, but where's the middle ground well good rule of thumb is that especially if a horse that you're retraining you should do nothing but a week of groundwork and you should do your round pinning exercises you know from at least five to up to seven days in a row probably for a couple of weeks you know in that initial stage if it's a if it's a green horse at least until you for sure got control of this thing's feet that when you direct it off you point a direction you want it to lope left or right like it actually responds it'll move its feet you've got some control it'll stop turn and look into you just that you've got some control you've got some respect what that doesn't entail is the horse not listening at all either racing around the round pin or it won't move on command or when you do turn it turns into the fence away from you or if it turns into you it buzzes by super close to where you feel its hairs brush you because it's just not even remotely making an effort to stay out of your personal space just like you can overdo it if you carry it on long into the horse's career past what you need but most people do not do nearly enough of it in the beginning stage it's funny they don't do enough like they'll do a couple days of groundwork and then get on a green horse but then they're always doing this foundation level groundwork stuff long after it's you know a lot of people have it twisted where no do enough of it and be sure you're committed early on and then move on from it right and i think a, a big reason for that too is a kind of a, a muddiness in the water, so to speak, or unclear nature of liberty versus exercises in a round pin. Yes. And exercises in a, like your groundwork exercises in the beginning have no bearing on anything other than to make a safe partner to handle on the ground mm -hmm. and ensure a safe and productive ride. Yeah. That's all that they entailed. Your round pinning exercise in the beginning is literally just a preparation for being able to lunge this thing. Right, exactly. And so the horse following you around is it's nice and all, but it is absolutely unnecessary. It is a nice thing to do, and we do it, absolutely. But it is rather unnecessary in the grand scheme of things. It has no bearing on the rest of your training whatsoever there you if you completely ignored that part of it you're not at a loss for anything because a horse that you did that with and had it follow around great and a horse that you didn't have it followed around in six weeks time you wouldn't know the difference between the two of them mm -hmm. as long as you had both horses respect but i think what a lot of people get caught up in is trying to make a liberty horse using your round pinning techniques and especially trying to start that day one you know when they begin the round pin exercises immediately having a liberty horse in mind and a liberty horse is a completely 
new discipline as far as groundwork is there's groundwork and then there's liberty it's kind of like there's western pleasure there's hunter hack there's raining there's cow like those are different disciplines as far as the in the genre of writing well in the genre of groundwork there is your groundwork to gain their respect to gain their control and then over here we have liberty and they're two separate things altogether yeah. but i i think people and we've been guilty of this in the past too is you know there's a lot of things out there that people see or you know there's people posting videos showing off about how their horse on day one can follow them around the round pin like a puppy dog you know and and a lot of the training dvds out there have that they present that as in in their defense a good byproduct to have but these people then take it a little bit out of context and i think a lot of people get worried that like if the horse won't follow them around like that very early on that they're doing something wrong you know and again we've been really guilty of that as well and people get genuinely worried about that like you know well what's you know do i really not have a connection here and we're just trying to say um, amongst other things in this segment that really that doesn't have a lot of bearing as far as how much respect you actually have and it shouldn't be a, a huge focus sure no. it's a nice yeah. byproduct to have but people get bent out of shape if their horse isn't following them around day one. They think they've failed, essentially, and that's not true. Yes, you can't judge your skill as a horseman and the the progress you've made <laughs> on whether they're following you around after four days of working on a round pinning exercise. Yes. That's totally unimportant. It does not matter because in the long run, as long as you focus on a relationship of respect, that will come in time. And if if you choose if you so choose the path when you start your your liberty work that will you know take form on its own as well but just like with riding like if i have a, a reining horse or a barrel horse or whatever or just a regular horse here in training for the first say um month to six weeks you wouldn't be able to tell the what i'm doing the difference between let's say the the 10 year old halfling or stud that I'm riding as a training horse <laughs> or the two year old reining horse. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference between wh what I'm going to do with either horse because I'm only focused on getting that horse confident, broke, quiet, relaxed, soft and supple, re retraining those good mental habits. Then once I have that foundation set, then I'll take them on their separate paths. This one's going to be you know, old Haffy's going to be a trail horse and this two-year-old is going to be a reining horse. And then they diverge onto their different paths. The reining is just like that. It's, or I'm sorry, the groundwork in the beginning is just like that. It's in the very initial stages, you're just setting a good foundation. You're just trying to lay that cement, get everything smooth, get the, get the structural integrity right mm -hmm. so that you can build whatever type of horse. You, if you just want one that you can lead to the barn saddle up no problem and then go ride that you know it doesn't matter in the beginning stages all of your groundwork is the same it's all focused on that foundation and then and that respect once you have that you can either be real lazy with your groundwork and do the bare minimum and just ride it or you can you can build off of that and make it a liberty horse but in the beginning stages how you start it whether you have it follow you around a hundred miles in little circles in the round pen or not at all will not have any bearing on that because you're still on the path of just establishing a solid foundation exactly exactly and you know just going back to a lot of people 
because of the things we've talked about, they focus way too much, way too soon on trying to create a lot of draw in a horse. This isn't an exact analogy, but I'd ask people to kind of think about think about it in this way. Um, and I think we've all been in experiences, you know, different places that you've worked. Think about like, have you ever had a new coworker show up for their first day on the job? And there's just something a little bit off-putting about them. Like they're just trying way too hard to be nice. They're trying to infuse themselves into like the office in jokes and like trying way too hard to like jump headfirst into the culture that's kind of that the rest of you guys have kind of created. And you're just like, it's just a little bit awkward. It's like, you know, they're kind of coming off a little bit. You know, it's kind of rubbing you the wrong way, regardless of whether or not they deep down are a good person. Like, you know, just everyone's just like, you know, because you don't really know this person. You haven't seen them work. Uh, they're the new guy. You haven't, you don't really know whether or not you respect them yet. And yet they're trying to be way too friendly, way too nice, trying to inject themselves into the social situations, the office politics, the in-jokes, the memes, everything that everyone else has already created and shared, and they all know and respect each other, now comes this new guy completely out of left field. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't mesh. And everyone's been in those awkward situations, and that's kind of what it's like when you go in the round pin, you know, in the first or second session, and you're just trying way too hard, way too early to get up to the horse, create a lot of draw, get them following you around, get your hands all over them. Uh, that's kind of what's going on in the horse's mind. Like, no, you need to, in the case of that coworker analogy, you know, you want that person, at least this is my mentality, and this is what I've tried to do when I've been the new guy, is just buckle down, put your nose to the grindstone, and work. And then gradually everyone sees that, and they'll kind of warm up to you, and you'll develop that mutual respect there. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with this, like get in there, move their feet around. It's not you being the bad guy. It's you taking the necessary steps to get that respect and establish that leadership role first. Then you can have a nice, friendly, touchy feely partnership after that, but not before you can't make that the first thing that you're aiming at. Exactly. I, I think, and another analogy, uh, like a real world analogy that people can see physically kind of play out in front of them. And I wanted to, to bring this one up because this was always a point of frustration. I know for me personally, probably you as well, we'd see the, the, the clinicians or the videos or whatever and the horse is following them around and we're like, oh, you know, am I failing as a trainer? Why won't mine follow me like this is day three? Like, yeah. how do, you know, what, what do I need to do to bribe? Do I need to bribe this thing maybe? I mean, what, what's it gonna take? A handful of grain, maybe a can of Coke? I mean, I'd run up to that. And if you watch the road to the horse, that, that colt starting competition, you'll notice that one of the, the big selling points that a lot of clinicians will use to get the crowd really going is when they walk out of their round pen or after they've done their obstacle course ride and then they've done their freestyle, they'll they'll do something weird or whatever. It, you know, They'll shoot a gun or crack a whip or rope something or whatever, or stand on the horse, and then they'll jump off and then they'll throw the rein or dally it around the horn and then just walk off for the end gate and the horse follows them and the crowd goes nuts. I mean, they just mill like butter. And it's a cool thing to see, you know, it's like the horse is, is really locked into that one particular person. And you brought up one point about just animal psychology in that situation. And the other point is that you notice all these different clinicians from all over the place, they all have their own unique style 
of starting that horse. Some people spend a bunch of time in that round pen working on changes of directions, following them around. Other people, they go just straight cowboy. They just rope it, pull it around, get a saddle on it, and let's go. Mm -hmm. And everything in between those two extremes. And But all those different approaches and those different programs, they all have one thing that is centralizing for all of them and you know you the same across the board which is they all build that relationship on respect and i am the leader you're the follower and then everything kind of follows after that but mm -hmm. respect is the paramount that they start that relationship off with and so the fact that that horse after you know three hours i think it is follows them out of the arena that's just a byproduct of that respect that they had built up to that point. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, people get, I think, misled by terms like connection and relationship and building trust with a horse. And how you do that, how you build that trust, is get that respect first. Move that horse's feet left and right. You know, get get that respect and then the the them being comfortable around you, them wanting to follow you. If you want to carry that on further uh, later on and make that into liberty and stuff and play around more on the ground you know whatever you're after that's fine but it all comes down from a it starts from a foundation of respect first and not enough people are committed enough in the initial stages in the round pin to doing that they're worried too much about getting up to the horse and you know making the horse feel comfortable in their presence when they should be making the horse comfortable about the fact that they can move that horse's feet and that they are the leader in that situation because that's really what the horse is looking for. All right, so let's get into this other Q&A question. And the reason I picked this out is because it kind of, it's like a good archetype of several questions we've both seen and we've gotten submitted recently. Um, but I thought this was, a, this was a good example for us to kind of break down and comment on a little bit. Not in a super judgmental way, because obviously, just like everything else we talk about, we've probably been guilty of these same mistakes many times over. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was good, a good Rosetta Stone anyway, to kind of decode where people go a little bit wrong oftentimes in trying to solve these types of issues and it'll also lead to some good insights for like the younger professionals and the trainers out there who we're trying to reach out to as well because these kind of questions are going to come up and they're difficult to feel they're difficult to handle uh, if you're a trainer or a clinician so I think this will be a good question for us to discuss a little bit um, and basically I'll, I'll go ahead and read it here I've been riding a horse I trained myself for about three years now. He's sound and bomb-proof, soft, moves off my legs, is very controlled, but sometimes while we're out on the trail, it's like a switch gets flipped internally and he just snaps, suddenly bucking and bolting off. I've tried everything. He's soft and flexes perfectly, but when he's bolting off, nothing will stop him. Any ideas on why he does this and how I can fix it? He's done everything perfectly in the arena and on the trail except for the occasional bucking. And that kind of goes into a theme we've talked about before where, you know, people will frame their horse's problems as, you know, he does everything perfectly, but, but then they'll talk about this huge, glaring, massive problem that really is just a symptom of a big hole somewhere in this horse's foundation. So often what people are really telling you, uh, I'll put it this way, what someone's definition of very soft and controlled is 
or what someone's definition of I've been training this horse for three years or what someone's definition of he rides perfectly in the arena and does all these things is probably massively different than what we're thinking of when we think of a horse that's soft and controlled and respectful and moves off your leg you know and that's where people get into trouble on this stuff trying to answer it is because you end up talking past each other because you both have wildly different expectations and ideas of what a soft controlled respectful horse with a good foundation actually means really like in a real sense of the word and so a big part of a question like this i guarantee you and this would be valuable for us in answering this question is this is where video coaching would really come in handy is a situation like this because i guarantee that someone you know they're not a professional uh and we're not trying to be judgmental but 99 times out of 100 when it's this type of a question if you then are able to see video or see in person this lady interacting with their horse you'll notice major glaring red flags in that horse's behavior that's going over this person's head they're just not realizing all the red flags and warning signs that are leading up to the meltdown uh, in their mind the horse is doing just fine up until a huge catastrophic failure like getting bucked off or whatever oh it's it's surprising sometimes you know when we've gone on random trail rides or at shows or something it's surprising the behaviors some people will assume are just the horse being a horse you know mm -hmm. it going down the trail with them having a white knuckle and death grip on the reins to hold the horse back and it's jig jogging and chomping at the bit and foaming at the mouth or yeah. doing that little half jig half rear at the jaw. Or even even when they start the ride like they'll go to do a little groundwork to warm the horse up the thing's not really moving its feet it's just kind of arrogantly flipping its head around you know just kind of giving them the middle finger in other words they go to get on this thing won't stand still it's sitting there trying to grass snatch it's prancing right. around and it's just doing all these things and to them that's just a horse like they don't see the red flags coming and then like you said the horses usually and i'd be willing to bet it's the case with this one as well they're going down the trail this horse is prancing it's jigging around um, they're just not really acknowledging or aware of all these warning signs and the horse meanwhile is completely mentally just off with the fairies not doesn't have its focus on the rider you know barely knows it exists it's just like they're riding down the trail on top of a four-legged powder keg that's just waiting and looking and hunting for an excuse to, to set off because it's really in a reactive mode and all it needs is just the right excuse whether it's a pheasant flying up or a gust of wind comes up under between its back legs or whatever or maybe the person's sitting there you know constantly in its mouth and and just you know finally the horse or and this is another case too the person wants to go out and you know do some bending with the horse start training on it or just putting more pressure on it and in either one of those cases the horse is like all right enough of this and just you know takes its punch card and just checks out of the situation mentally and that's where the the reactive behavior and the meltdown happens right and you and reading a, a question like this i never thought that i would have to actually use this practically but turns out i did remember english class with the context clues that yeah. is literally what reading this email is because i don't remember what the little fancy scientific -y theory is or who put their name to it. I mean, it sound, the theory is completely obvious, but it, it someone has their name attached to it. But it is, it's 
something about a thing cannot both be and not be at the same time. And so this horse here, this head training for three years, you don't know if that's 365 days a year for three years or one summer in year one and then nothing year two and three. You know, it just existed on the place and therefore it got credit. Yeah. You know, it, you, or, you don't get credit hours you know, for existing it, there. Every 4th of July, they went and rode it and on Memorial Day and that's right. it. You know, you, yeah, you like just you don't know. You just don't know. And then, you know, it goes on to say the, it's bomb proof, soft, moves off my legs, very controlled. Well, that's great. That's a horse that's had three years of training like that should absolutely do that. I mean, there's no getting around that. That should be where a horse with three years of training should be at. But then it says sometimes when we're out on the trail, it's like a switch gets flipped mm -hmm. internally and he just snaps. And you know as well as I do that no horse ever just snaps like that. They are always going to warn you when it's coming, whether that was three hours in advance or three seconds before it happens. Yeah. There's always going to be that and warning. And like you mentioned, a horse going down the trail with someone not recognizing all these red flags where the horse is like, hey, I'm warning you, I'm about to check out, you're about to die, like take take cover, here we go, three, two, one, like they, they ignore that stuff and just cover it up and finally it just comes to a, a, you know, a boiling over point where something like you said sets it off or the horse has just said, you know, I'm tired of, of you up there and I'm going to ditch you and move on with my day. Yeah. And um, like we were both talking about before this, you know, and when answering these questions in person as a trainer, it, it also makes it difficult because this person's saying, well, he does everything perfectly. Basically, they're saying in, in that he's got a good foundation. He's got a great foundation. But then you look at the end result of what's happening is that they're getting dumped on the trail. This thing's being reactive. It's spooky. It's dangerous. And you, t you ask that person, okay, a horse with a good foundation, a really good foundation, doesn't do what's happening to you. That just doesn't occur. Um, and, you know, a lot of people take offense to that. And so that makes your job as a trainer difficult because there's a little bit of ego involved. And so I think what you have to do is kind of unpackage. And that's, again, where if we could watch video of this person interacting with their horse or see it in person, I think very quickly you'd identify areas where this horse is really chumping this lady. Either it's getting away with blatantly disrespectful behavior that she's not picking up on or that she's letting slide, or she's not really ever putting pressure on this horse and, you know, kind of poking its buttons a little bit, and it's just kind of floating along, but always ready to go into re right. a reactive mode at the slightest little provocation whether it's something that sets the horse off externally or it's something that she does to put pressure on the horse that it just doesn't want to handle and doesn't want to accept. One of those two things is going on. And I, you know, not pretty much every time, virtually every time we've had a question like this, it always ends up being one of the two. Either the person is riding an absolute powder keg or they're tiptoeing around a horse that can't handle and accept pressure. And the moment they do, the horse has a meltdown. Exactly. And one thing that I saw reading this, this, um, this a question here that I wanted to bring up, especially for someone that's like a, a younger trainer that is doing something like this, some sort of Q&A, maybe at a horse expo or the owner shows up to ride it, whatever. And that is throughout the email, it says that um, he is bomb proof, soft, moves off my leg, controlled. He, I've tried everything. 
Um, he's done everything perfectly in the arena on the trail except for the occasional bucking. And I know just speaking from experience, when you get a question like this, it's a little bit easier in a way doing it online and it's a bit harder in a way online answering a question like this, not being face to face. It's easier in the perspective of without someone looking you directly in the eyes that can refute what you're saying, it's easy to just kind of spit out a, an answer and get list off a bunch of exercises and say, well, go do this. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's harder because you, the person that you're trying to convey this knowledge to is working with a living, breathing animal. You don't know the ability level they have to do what's necessary with this particular exactly. horse. But face-to-face, -face, this is something that we dealt with a lot in the early days, was that you'd get hit with, okay, here's the problem. It's doing this, this, and this, but everything else is perfect. Well, that, first of all, is not entirely possible. But, of course, like you said, their, their ego is kind of wrapped up in this horse because they're training themselves, they're riding themselves, mm -hmm. and everyone in the equine industry has an opinion. Yes. So everyone's kind of defensive about that in a way. And so when you start to suggest ideas, you get hit with, well, I've tried everything. Well, he already does that perfectly. Well, have you tried? Nope, he already does that. Yeah. Well, did you do a little? Oh, nope, done a billion of those. You know, and you get hit with that, and it really hits your confidence as a young trainer because you start to doubt your own program. You're like, well, man, they've they've already done a billion of those. I mean, they've they've done this, they've done that. I'm running out of things to list off here that they say they've done. And it's important to understand that the problems that are listed that this person is having is a dead giveaway that everything that they said that they had done, they either A, did not do it, or they did some semblance of it that wasn't really the exercise or nowhere near to the level and proficiency that was needed to not, get the job done. Not can, being effective. Yeah, you yeah. can, there's many different ways to do the same exercise and ways to do one exercise and not get anything accomplished. You can do that same <laughs> exercise and make things worse. Yes. And you can do that same exercise and make it better. And you don't know which one of the three that they've chosen. And so it's important to understand that when you get hit with it, well, I've tried that. I've tried, I've done that. It does everything perfectly. Just to realize stick to your guns and have confidence in the program that you know that works and understand that you have to read into the details and understand well there's no way you could have tried everything a because you know like even us ourselves we are we realize how much we don't know and there's no way you can you could ask you know someone like al dunning who's been there won that and you could ask him if he knows everything and he'd tell you he doesn't there's no way you're ever going to know everything or have yeah. tried everything and there's no way that that the horse can do what they say it does perfectly and still have those problems. So it's just important to know, stick to your guns on stuff like that and don't lose confidence in yourself or your program when you get hit with that resistance because you can expect it. And it's just like you had mentioned earlier, it's kind of that owner's ego in a bit of a way firing back at you almost insulting them in a way. Yeah, well, and see, and that's the thing you got to realize too is very rarely, and we have on occasion, so I'm not saying that's, you know, it never happens, but very rarely have we come across people that were purposely kind of negative about it, to right. where they're like trying to stump you and getting off on the fact that they're they're challenging you and, and making you puzzled and stumped over how to do this, because everything you suggest as a training exercise or, or what you would do in that situation, they just blurt out that they've already done it. Um, 
and I think it's it's important to just realize that, you know, it's kind of like talking to a teenager. Like you kind of have to unpack what they say because there's some emotionality wrapped up in what they're telling you and you can't just take it at face value. It's not them trying to be a bad person. It's just that like we all do, we want to, you know, we don't want to get our egos bruised too badly. We're, we're, tr we're trying to ask for help, but in a way that allows us to save face, but then it leads to miscommunication like this. And the reason why I pulled this question out was precisely because this person posted this question online and you had a bunch of people jumping in trying to do what we just talked about, trying to, trying to just offer little bits and pieces of exercises and things to try and trying to operate within that framework, taking what this person said at face value. And it was the same dynamic playing out. She'd be like, well, I tried that exercise. I've been doing this. I've already done that. And what you have to do if you're answering a question like this and what we would suggest in, in addition to seeing this person actually interact with their horse, and I guarantee you would see exactly where the problem lies and be able to walk this person through and, and open their eyes a little bit. But in answering this face to face, you kind of have to reframe it a little bit, you know, not come out and outrightly attack them, but clearly what they're saying is the problem and the meltdowns that's happening versus what they told you about the horse doing everything perfectly it doesn't add up and you just have to bring them around to the idea well you know clearly there's something else going on here there's some hole in its foundation and really what they're saying when it when they say oh i've tried everything they've tried everything that they know or that's up to their level of ability right now and it's you know they they probably more often than not, have a wildly different standard of what tried everything means compared to you. So we found it very valuable to help people through that. And again, the video coaching like we talked about or doing it in person, private lessons, this lady would be a perfect candidate for that because then you can let them see exactly where things are falling through the cracks and there's negative stuff going on, disrespectful behavior or just a lack of effectiveness that this person isn't addressing or isn't picking up on that is just kind of, you know, things that are getting let slide and then it catches up and bites this person in a bad way when they go out on the trail. But it's a lot more complicated question that requires you to actually, you know, get in there and, and get more hands-on instead of just, you know, spitting out training ideas like just little exercises and things that is the that's the absolute wrong consciousness the wrong approach to take on something like this you need to actually see how this person's interacting with the horse and then you know not in a judgmental way because everybody starts out a beginner but, um, but just try to help them see where things are getting let slip and how they can be a little bit more effective like nine times out of ten you know, they're doing exercises like you talked about. Oh, I'm, I'm doing the lunging. I'm doing all the bending. I mean, this horse is soft. And then when you see it, that horse is, is soft, maybe 25% of what it actually should be by your standards. Or it's lunging, but it's barely putting effort in and it's just getting by and just going through the motions and it's not really mentally engaged. Like you just have to work through that stuff with this person. Um, instead of doing what everybody defaults to, which is just to, to spit out training ideas. Well, and, and dovetailing into that, that kind of segues into one thing I wanted to get into about the advice that you would give in this particular situation 
is a question like this that is a hard question because this person's been riding the horse for three years and they're having these problems. So obviously this horse is a little bit too much for them to handle right now. They're a bit in over their head. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That that happens a lot. It, it happens to everyone. I know it's happened to us and you know it's it's just the nature of the business. You have a living, breathing animal. And but at the end of the day, you have a duty just as just to being a decent human being to give them the advice that they need. <clears throat> Not so much maybe the advice they want to hear, yeah. but at the end of the day, like you have to be able to leave this person, and you don't want to get someone sending you a Facebook message say, "Hey, I'm a friend of so and so's. You gave them this advice. Horse flipped over on the trail, and now they're dead." Uh-huh. You know, you don't need to hear that. You need to give them the advice that is the best suited for that situation. And a lot of times, people will bring you advice, and they expect a quick fix. And then when you can't deliver that quick fix, then they hit you with, "Well." I guess you don't know what you're talking about, and then they they move on, and you're kind of left and like, man, should I have, did I drop the ball on that question? And no, because this is a living, breathing animal, and you not only have to deal with the abilities of the horse and where that horse is level in his training, but the abilities of the owner to actually implement that. And there is no such thing as a quick fix. That's why people make their living as horse trainers, because it's difficult. Yes. And so your job then is to give them a straightforward answer, not not sugarcoat stuff to try to hopefully convince this person to to spend money with you or make them happy not go to the other extreme where you inflate your own ego by really ripping this person down and over exaggerating everything but just give them at face value like you know i don't like people that that sugarcoat answers but probably what gets under my skin or my bigger pet peeve is the people that say that that pride themselves on telling it like it is but in reality they go way overboard all the time and they kind of inflate their own ego by ripping people down it's like if i took a car to a dealership and i said all right tell me how bad my tires are worn and they said well you've got you know 50 percent tread left okay that's face value I have 50% tread that. I don't need to hear, well, um, you know, there's definitely some wear there, but I'm gonna, I think it's, you know, maybe 70, 75% wear, you know, um, for sure. It's, it's definitely got some miles on it there, but you know, maybe around 70, 70%. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear the sugar coating because then I'm gonna keep driving it. I'm gonna wear the tires out and then I'm gonna end up with a flat. But at the same time, I don't need to hear, what have you been doing? How have you been still driving this car? Do you not care about your own, own safety? Look at this. There's 10% wear, there's 10% grip tread left on this tire. How could you even justify driving this thing down the street? I don't need to hear that either. I need to hear what is going on with my tires, and I don't want to hear all the other you know, fluff attached to that. So when you give a question like this, the answer that really comes down to it is you have to say, okay, here's the problems you're having. This is what I'm hearing. You can relay to them everything that you're hearing in the situation okay there's no way he can be both controlled and randomly bucking and bolting off and in a situation like this it's not going to feel great initially because you because you know we all love to have the answer yes and have people leave happy with what we said yes but in this situation there is there is no answer for that you have to literally say you're in over your head you need to seek some professional help you know, and maybe you could recommend like the best thing you could do in that situation. Say, okay, where do you live? Okay, well, I would recommend such and such. I, they do a good like recommend someone nearby. Well, then send their horse to so and so. You need to 
give the best answer for that situation. You just need to be honest and say, there's no quick fix here. You're in over your head. You've had this thing for three years and are having this problem. This is a safety issue for you personally. I don't know if you have you know, spouse or children or whatever, but they're a little bit more important than riding this, this particular horse. Exactly. So you're in over your head. You need some professional help. I know everyone sounds like, oh, you're just trying to get money out of this person. Recommend somebody else. But you know, you can't just don't feel like you failed that person for not giving them the quick answer because there is no quick answer to a question like that. It is you're in over your head and this horse needs completely started over from square one yeah. with someone that can handle it. Well, and that's, you know, in a in a situation like this, if I was gonna do another option, which would be recommend like we do our free video coaching, or at least you know, just send us a video just showing how, you know, like I've done that with clients before where they'll tell me, you know, everything's going great, but, and then they'll describe a massive issue. And so I'll say, well, send me a horse, send me a video of you and your horse, like what you do to prepare for the ride or just a couple minutes of you interacting with him. And very quickly you can point out, okay, this is where the ball's being dropped, you know, and what I would I would almost guarantee is what I would end up saying in this case if I did video video coaching with this person is I would you know probably look at them interacting with their horse and see a situation where they're not really putting a lot of pressure on this horse and right. it's just completely getting away with murder in in a lot of ways and you're right it's a difficult thing to say but this person is most likely in over their head and needs to basically restart this horse's foundation like as painful as it is to contemplate you would literally and we would have to if we took a horse in for in like this for training what would we probably end up doing going back to square one and re-establishing everything like from the round pin on and making this thing able to handle and accept pressure and just getting more control of its feet getting it softer it's a full spectrum issue there's not one little nicely in a box with a bow on top thing that you can say. But again, if you're a trainer in this situation, you have to be able to to communicate that, that, you know, not to be harsh here, not to overdo and over exaggerate, but not to sugarcoat either. Like you're in over your head, clearly X result would not be happening if the horse was, you know, completely bomb proof and right and solid and just had a great solid foundation something is missing something's not adding up right and just get, you know just offer your honest opinion on the situation because again the horse industry full of opinions if they don't like what you have to say they'll find somebody else that may tailor what they say to what they want to hear but that's not a problem that you want to set yourself up to deal with you just say um, with all due respect, this is the way that I see the situation. You offer your opinion and then let the cards fall or the chips fall where they may. Because if you give them that, you give them your honest answer, just cut and dry the way you see it and the way you truly believe it to be, and they don't like that answer, then it wasn't a horse or a client that you would have wanted in the first place. But nine times out of 10, I think people do appreciate uh, yeah, the honesty. That, yes. And it's a different consciousness coming at them as to as opposed to somebody who either, you know, overly criticizes them or tries to tiptoe around the issue or just spits out an exercise idea on the internet and leaves it at that. Like that is not helpful behavior. 
And, you know, of course we've had the people that respond negatively, but actually the vast majority of people, when they see that you actually care, but you're not going to be overbearing about, you know, getting off on you being the authority figure and talking down to this person, once you are actually offering your legitimate help, most people are appreciative, and then that ego shield kind of dissolves. They, they feel okay about taking that down, and then they start opening up about what's really going on behind the scenes virtually every time. Not always, but people be more open and more ready to kind of take your suggestions to heart and actually work with you instead of putting up a front, which, again, not criticizing because we all do it. Right. We all have ego wrapped up, especially if it's a horse that we've trained or owned for several years. We don't want to be told we completely screwed up, you know, and and we're kind of subconsciously protecting ourselves from having to admit it. But that's part of, I think, our job as a trainer is to just be honest, but also have some empathy in that sense and not use it as an opportunity to pontificate all day about where they screwed up. They subconsciously know it. Like, they're putting up a front, but they know they screwed up, which is why they're asking for help in the first place nine times out of ten. All right, so to cap off this episode with more of an intermediate or advanced riding topic, uh, we wanted to discuss a little bit more about bending transitions, uh, where we apply them, so on and so forth. You know, last time we discussed about using them for a lot of speed control. We talked about a couple horses as an example from our Q&A that you know needed that exercise just transitions in general but bending transitions to try to get them softer more controlled just more relaxed about being taken a hold of not so bracy and overreactive in a couple different contexts one horse was green whereas another horse was an older horse that was just kind of stiff and not running off just really didn't have a lot of speed control wasn't rating right that person's seat etc um so we talked about you know that uh, um, that especially at the lobe, it's such a valuable exercise um, to just get that horse to submit and soften and have that be their reflex when you pick up on them instead of stiffening and overreacting. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we use a lot of bending transitions to to keep refining a way that a horse lopes and operates at speed and stops you know leaning issues etc it's something we really believe in a lot and i was going to mention one i guess useful exercise and then let you kind of elaborate as well coming from a little bit different perspective from the reigning world um, but one thing i've really found to be helpful with young colts especially is uh, just doing a lot of bending transitions on straight lines you know picking out points or posts or spots on the fence and going straight across the arena um, kind of like we talked about with that one gal with, you know, you're basically trying to get that horse to be responsible for maintaining that speed and direction. Wherever you place his nose, he needs to move out confidently on a straight line and not have you mo constantly micromanaging his face to hold him on that track. And so that exercise going, you know, post to post, point to point, straight across the arena with bending transitions in between you know, to the opposite way that that horse leans is working on multiple things at once, getting that horse to not anticipate and lean so much because you're always taking them the opposite way that they expect and doing something that, you know, the opposite of what they're anticipating. But then every time you take a hold of them and break them down from the lope, you're just, 
you're just breaking and easing that stiffness out of them. It's like we've worked with so many horses that you're loping across and they, they just kind of get stuck in that mode. And then as soon as you take a hold of their face, it's up, 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 and they're jittery and bracy and they slam their front end into, into the ground. And they don't know how to just carry themselves collected and controlled and have a controlled breakdown to a trot and a walk and make that smooth and soft. And doing a ton of those bending transitions is a great way to just train that mental pattern into them and just get that really hammered in. And so we do that a lot where we're going, we're doing bending transitions on a straight line. Either, you know, we'll go all the way across the arena, get to a point on the fence, and then if they lean left, we take them in a bending transition to the right. Or as we go across, we do a bending transition in the middle. Or they go to just take off to the left, we do a bending transition right in the middle of the arena. Like, we use that in so many different contexts, and that's like a key part of our program for several weeks early on in a, in a Colts training or for retraining an older horse, it's such a crucial foundation step because it, you're, you're killing like five birds with one stone. You're working on direction and speed with minimal, you know, micromanaging their face. You're working on softness, doing controlled transitions, which just, it just creates not only physical softness in a horse and teaches, but it, it teaches good mental patterns. It's like you're getting a mentally soft and mentally pliable and just ready and accepting, even if they're going at speed, to being taken a hold of, instead of just, you know, either bracing up for a fight or acting surprised when you do make contact with their mouth. Right, and horses are experts at anticipating and figuring out kind of what that pattern is and what to expect and preparing themselves for that. And so I absolutely love introducing rundowns using this exercise and at the end like running the horse down building speed across the arena and then about 60 feet before the end of the arena slowing that horse down to a slower lope down to a jog and then down to you know depending on if he's real green or maybe has a little better handle on him maybe softening that rib cage around my leg at the walk the opposite way he was leaning or maybe just jogging a circle the opposite way he was leaning there at the end of the arena and then once he's softened up and relaxed then heading back down the arena again to the to the opposite corner, building speed for a rundown, and then when I get close to the end fence, slowing him down on that straight line, and then when I get to the corner, bending him around either um, at a walk or maybe in a circle at the jog. And I absolutely love using this to teach the rundown because when he we're building that speed, we're we're building the speed up to a slowdown, not to a you know, continue to run fast or to a complete stop. It's to a slowdown. So we're winding the motor up and we're not going to wind it up to a high idle and then cut it off at a stop or wind it up and then just let it run indefinitely. We're going to wind it up and then gradually wind it back down. And it just gets these Colts so confident about allowing you to build that speed because they know at the end of the arena, you're going to do something that you've done previously with slowing them down and bending them around. You've done some, You've done this enough that they know what's coming and they can accept it and handle it. So it's like you're you're challenging them in a way they don't know. You're adding speed on a rundown and you're asking them to go to build speed and go fat and go straight. But then at the end of it, now you bring them back to what they do know, what they're comfortable with, which was a slowdown, 
soften up either jog a circle or maybe if they're real bracy real stiff bend all the way around my foot and soften around that rib cage around my leg mm -hmm. and so it's wind them up slowly wind them down and it just builds these Colts confidence where they they just start to relax I've you know I've seen many different ways of starting the rundown from people that fence the horse day one yes. to all running it all the way to the fence and i've seen people that round the corner and once the horse makes the turn they they pick up and they make it keep that speed and soften it up and they kind of push them through a, a fight for a while and then as soon as the horse softens up at that speed then they let it slow down and then they're off the other way and i've seen people do the build the speed up let the horse slow down and then at the end of the arena soften them up at a jog or at a walk and long term yes you're not going to work on your rundowns you know a month after you've introduced it still softening them up and slowing them down at the end but you've built that confidence long term whereas a horse that because they're expecting at the end of the arena is that slow down that relax and that confidence builder that you've just given them whereas a horse that you know you round the arena the corner with and then you take a hold of them and you maintain that speed and you soften them up well, they get pretty smart about, okay, we get to the end arena, there's no stopping, we keep going. And so pretty soon you you have them in a nice controlled lope and you round the corner and you're ready to go. And what do they do? Immediately they get ahead of you and they start running off. You know, they're mm -hmm. building speed on their own because they know what's coming after they get to the end of the arena. And they've already mentally begun that process in their mind. They are way ahead of you. And so now you've created another demon that you're going to have to, for the rest of their career, constantly go back and forth with trying to shorten them up and then get them running again and now they're running off and you're always going to be kind of in that battle but when you've got that horse constantly anticipating when we get to the end we keep going you've now made them mentally not only are they assuming runoff as soon as you put them on the straight line let them go because they know what's coming but you get them real anxious and, and wound up because they know mm -hmm. what's coming is a bit of a, of a battle once you round that corner and so long term you end up with uh, with a constant battle of trying to stop a horse from running off all the time and yes there's no perfect way to introduce it where the horse is either not going to want to run well enough or maybe they'll get ahead of you and run off a little bit but getting to compare all those three and seeing the product it produced long term the horse that you slow down the way you with the horse that was introduced by slowing down at the end of the arena softening up bending around at a speed that he knew and could handle long term set this up set this horse up so much better because you started it off that maneuver in a relaxed way building his confidence rather than mm -hmm. overexposing him and just getting through it by means of flooding him to where he just gave in yeah you built his confidence up to where he could handle it yep we've seen and you know not to criticize obviously but we've been exposed to programs where this was a big part of teaching a young horse to run and run confidently and being taken a hold of soft and being able to come back to you and slow down with confidence and softness and then we've seen others where they start off that way and then they kind of switch modes to then any stiffness or braciness or any problems that develop at the lope, you fix it at the lope. And so, you know, you'll run one down and they're getting really short, they're getting bracy or they're running off, whatever the case may be, and they'll either really get in that horse's face or really kick on it 
you know, like let's say you run down and you circle around left, like they'll just be going all out. Like the throttle will be at a hundred percent as they're kicking on this thing or trying to soften it up. And you know, we talk a lot, and we won't like super over elaborate on this, but we talk about developing a horse's comfort zone. It's like a bubble where you you consistently you start out in the comfort zone, nice and slow. You throttle up to where you're just you're pressing into that sort of intermediate area where they're just not as confident and then you take them back down. Throttle up and take them back down and constantly expand. But you're always, you're basically doing approach and retreat. You're, you're, ex, you're exposing them a little bit further, then you go back to where they're comfortable. Expose them a little bit further, go back to where they're comfortable. And you're building their confidence gradually instead of, like you said, just flooding them with it or trying to immediately fix all the problems at the lope. And I use the analogy of like, a race car where you may start out with the best setup that you theoretically think will work during the race but as track conditions change as you know whatever the case may be the car isn't operating a hundred percent it's not completely balanced the chassis is off tires need to be adjusted what have you and there's two approaches you can take it's either make the adjustment be able to drive a little bit harder now that the car's handling better you figure out ways to adjust it, get the car handling even better. Now you can push it even harder again. Rather than if the car is completely unbalanced and isn't driving well and you just floor, the, and you just try to drive it super hard right off the bat, you're gonna end up with disaster. At the very least, if you don't crash, you're gonna disproportionately wear out your equipment because you're putting so much stress on it. Rather than being smart and backing off a little bit, make adjustments, drive it a little harder, make adjustments, be able to drive it harder. You know, that's kind of the same approach that we have. And I use the example of this one two-year-old stud colt I worked with who's, you know, is a cow horse, kind of hot, nervous, had a bad habit of leaning the shoulders, wanting to run across the arena. And whenever you went to go take up speed and, and make him run hard to go stop him, he knew what was coming. And so he would actually get really bracy really short strided and just short in general, massively anticipating it, just completely terrified. And so one thing I did with that horse, which kind of opened my mind up to doing more of this, because I found that it worked, was that I would start off, you know, kind of ease the throttle up, get him to run a little bit faster, do a bending transition to the opposite way that he leaned. You know, I would consistently do that over and over again. Oftentimes I do a bending transition to the opposite way the opposite of the lead that we were on. You know, if we if I ran him down the left lead, I'd take him around right, break him down to a jog, soften him up, blah, blah, blah. Once he got more confident, I'd do kind of what you were talking about, where I kind of take him into a soft circle and just ease him back down rather than breaking down from the lope as quickly. But I would still throw bending transitions in there. And what I figured out was this horse would allow me to lengthen him up and run and run hard, but he was always more confident in the fact that toward the end of the arena, we're going to be kind of powering down and he can come back to me soft and it's okay to do that. And so his confidence built to where he'd let me push him harder and harder and harder because he knew he had a, a place that we could retreat back to that was safe. So then as his confidence grew, then I could actually go stop this thing and he would run hard for me rather than being fearful and anticipating of if he didn't run correctly or he wasn't straight, that we were going to go screaming around the end of the arena with me kicking on him, trying to soften him back up. That, that, and, you know, people, this is where we're a little bit on the fringe as far as how we think about this, because a lot of people will say, well, 
the problem's at the lope. You need to get in there and fix it at the lope. Stay with him. Uh, and there's merit to that, sure. A lot of people can make it work that way. We prefer to, like, I'll put it this way. We've never ruined a horse at the lope or had them lope worse by breaking them down and doing some sort of a transition. If we push them up there and then, you know, that's a little bit outside their comfort zone, we break them down, do that transition, and keep building their confidence that way, you still end up with the same result, which is a horse that's confident to run hard and soft while doing it and not anticipating uh, or you know expecting a big fight if they don't run correctly like we've never ruined a horse's lope by doing transitions right and you know the the nice thing about it is you're running the horse to relaxation yes it's like it's, <clears throat> there's you can run him to relaxation or you can run him to a fight and either way whichever path you choose what's going to happen is as you run the horse he will start to mentally prepare for where he's going. So if you run the horse to a fight, you may, it's like, you know, fool, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me type of thing. Well, the mm -hmm. horse, the horse lives by this code of ethics <laughs> on like a rundown. Yeah. You, you run him down to a fight and you make him round that corner and you kick on him and make him stay in that lope and you're going to get through this at the lope. Okay. You know, you got after me and you scared me and caught me off guard and you forced me down into it once. Good on you. But the next time around, he's like, all right, you open that can of worms. You caught, you drew, you know, you showed me your calling card. You know, it's almost like a fighter that exposes their, their right hook. Finally, when the competitor sees it, they know how to get around it. They know how yeah. you tip it off. And so now the next time you do it, the horse is like, okay. I know what's going on. And so you start building that speed. And so he's going to start preparing himself for that fight leading up to the actual fight itself. So he's going to start getting bracy, running faster, getting worried, ducking and diving. All those bad yeah, habits are going to come out. We've, we've all seen those horses that, you know, like someone's schooling them at a show or whatever. And you see those horses that they start they start running down. They start off soft. They're building speed gradually. And then they get like two-thirds down the arena and then they go blasting off like an Elon Musk rocket until they hit the fence and that's a horse that knows what's coming and no you know that's a horse that has been in fights to where they've then gotten in a habit of shortening up and getting bracy and they've been kicked through it enough that now mentally as they're running down the horse is thinking okay I know there's a spot here where it's gonna be painful uh, I'm gonna get kicked on there's gonna be a fight so I'm just gonna race through as hard and fast as I can to just get this over with well and they just completely leave and that's the opposite of what we exactly. want. exactly you see that a lot at the shows when they're fencing those horses and they've been stopping 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 and then the horse is expecting okay at this point there's a stop and then the they're working on lengthening the horse again and taking him all the way to the fence and so then the horse tries to set up for that stop and so it's kick 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 drive him all the way to the fence and then they let him stop and sit at the fence, and then they leave the horse alone at the fence. Well, pretty soon he's no—he's no dummy. You do that one time, he knows what's coming. So he gets about that, especially an older horse. They're the worst at this. They get 60, 70 feet away from that fence, and you just see them hollow out their back. Their neck just flips up. It's almost like on a hinge. It doesn't like flip upside down, but it goes from like real level to just up here like a giraffe. And they just blindly run to the fence. It's like they're dashing to comfort over there at the fence because mm -hmm. they know what's coming. And 
using that especially you wouldn't you know it as weird as it sounds you introduce this to a two-year-old it makes a huge difference with say like a a six-year-old four years down the road because you started this this maneuver off you've introduced it with confidence as your number one priority to teach it rather than trying to make this a a plus one rundown you're focused on confidence first let the other stuff kind of catch up when it does and it goes back to you're running the horse to relaxation and in softening the horse around or jogging him around a couple circles at the end of the arena you're still putting his feet to work in a way that he's not he's not going to be looking forward to getting down there much like the horse that's fencing that is trying to escape the kick 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 from it setting up for the stop and so it blindly gallops to the fence because it's trying to gallop over to the rest and the comfort that is the fence leaving him alone but by putting that horse to work when you break it down to that jog or to that walk and you soften it around your leg you're still keeping them moving and engaged to where there's a little bit of work there at the end so they're not going to be trying to run off craving that that release but you're you're pushing him out of his comfort zone by building up that speed then you get to the end of the arena and you bring him back to something that he knows. Absolutely. And like you said, as far as you know, never wrecking a horse by slowing them down, that it, that is so true. Because again, I can't stress this point enough that they're they're animals of anticipation. They're masters of figuring out what your rules are and then trying to work around it to get ahead of you. And a horse that is expecting some sort of a, a fight, like I said earlier when you build up that speed when they're expecting a fight long term they're going to spend that rundown preparing themselves physically and mentally for that fight whereas if they're prepared for build 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 come back to me and soften Mm -hmm. they're going to expect that and so they're going to physically prepare themselves mentally and physically through that rundown for what's coming there at the end and you're the key is that you're taking them from the lope and whatever the problem is if you're loping a circle you're working on fast circles small circles just bridling them up the key is that when you run into an issue especially with a younger horse rather than trying to flood them and just push them through it take them back to a speed that you know darn well you have that horse controlled and soft and they're comfortable with because you slow down their feet you slow down their mind Mm -hmm. so if you can take them down to say a jog and fix whatever that stiffness was or resistance or whatever you still won like you still accomplished whatever that was because you did not release the pressure as you brought the horse from the lope to the jog you didn't release that pressure until you got the softness or the response you were looking for so you still technically won but you did it in a way that built his confidence. You yeah. slowed him down mentally. I think that's where people see what they see us doing that, and there's a there's a mental disconnect there because, in their eyes, we're pulling them off that maneuver and giving up in in a sense. And it's like, no, I'm taking a hold of this horse. I'm softening him. I'm slowing his feet down. I'm getting inside of his head, and you know, it, it's not like I'm quitting the maneuver. I pushed the throttle up to where I think I was, you know, pushing his the limits of his comfort zone and getting him that exposure, but then I brought him back down in a controlled way, but I'm still training. I'm still working on his mind. I'm still demanding that softness and that control out of him. It's not like I'm just pulling him off the stop and just quitting. And, you know, that's another thing I wanted to touch on was that 
and this is especially for younger horses that we're talking about this being super valuable, it's all about, like we constantly say, creating good mental habits in a horse. We're not saying that you don't ever go, go fence a horse the traditional way, and you gotta stop them at some point. That's extremely important. What we're saying is you have built their confidence up to a point where when you do that, you don't have these mega fights that come through trying to kick them through resistance at the lope and you know just stay at that speed that they're just not comfortable or ready for. You've built up their confidence in stages to where when you start adding intensity and pressure again and, and start really stopping them hard, that they mentally stay with you. They're not frazzled, they're not afraid. You're not pushing them way out of their comfort zone too, too fast. You're, you're still expanding their mind every day, exposing them more and more, but you're doing it in a smart, incremental way that builds their confidence instead of just all in one go on a particular day in their two-year-old year. And, you know, obviously, there's people that do it that way that get away with it, especially because there are horses out there that are total sweethearts that are so mentally malleable that they'll just handle it. They'll just accept that. Uh, but then there's other horses that we both worked with that their personality just isn't compatible with that. They benefit more from our approach and that, that stud cold I talked about earlier and what I did with him is just one example. You know, there's horses that especially the hotter, more nervous, more easily frazzled ones that really benefit from this approach. Whereas there's some extremely good-minded horses that you can get by with not doing a lot of this, but we feel that it's valuable regardless. Right. And I mean, there's tons of opinions on this and it's some people see it as a complete waste of time. Other people absolutely love it. I think it is invaluable for starting a young horse on a rundown program to introduce it in this particular way building their confidence but you know then again like you said there's there's tons of ideas on this some people you know think it's a waste of time and and do the complete opposite of that and they just go right to all right figure it out you know and yeah. i think it is though it makes your job so much easier because you've done the extra homework to set the horse up because you can never if you're trying to progress a horse, every step that you take upwards in progression, you cannot totally prepare him for that. Exactly. But it's your job as a horseman, and it comes down to just how easy do you want the process to be. It's never going to be easy. You're going to always run into trouble and whatever. But you're setting the horse up as best as you possibly can to handle the situation that you put him in. And it'll just make your job easier as the trainer if you have done your due diligence and set him up the best way that you can. Exactly. And even with older horses, it's always something that you can like reincorporate back into your schooling to fix problems later on as well. It's not yes. just for the two-year-olds, but starting off a young horse on this note, we feel is the best way to build their confidence. You're still pushing the envelope every day. You're still demanding more and more effort more and more speed as you start your stopping program. Obviously, that's 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 a learning curve that they just have to get over. There's no getting around that. But the preparation and the buildup, it doesn't have to be such a giant leap across this chasm from, you know, trotting around and just doing two-year-old stuff in a hackamore to now we're just running full speed hard and trying to get these horses to to run hard confidently just right off the bat you know there's a little intermediate step there that I that we feel 
uh, and that we know, especially for some horses, has been super valuable and super beneficial and has actually helped us avoid or fix problems regarding, you know, horses running off, horses getting scared, horses completely unconfident that when you put your foot down on the accelerator and start doing things at speed, that just everything goes out the window. Their softness, their body control, their frame, you know, everything goes because they're not confident to handle that. You know, it's it's a much better way, we think, of building that confidence, especially in a young horse. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Project Horse Podcast. If uh, you guys are still listening, we really appreciate it, and thank you uh, for supporting us. And if you haven't already, feel free to check us out on Facebook, leave us a like, rate this podcast on iTunes, let us know what you think, and if you want, you can submit ideas or training questions for the podcast. Just hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lundahl Horses. Thanks again.